Welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, and I'm a photographer, podcaster, and writer. And I love art and artists, and I love asking questions and having real conversations. I have a curious nature, and I'm really interested in people, who they are deep down and why they do what they do, what do they love, and how did they get where they are, and where are they headed? Austin is a great city, and I'm grateful to be in the midst of so many talented and amazing artists and those that support them. If you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to subscribe where you listen and visit scottdavidgordon.com to learn more about me, other podcasts I produce, and to read my almost daily journal where I share my photography, thoughts and connections, and books that I'm listening to or reading. And reach out if you have an idea for your own podcast and don't really want to deal with the learning curve and all the equipment. Maybe I can help you make your dream come true. This episode is brought to you in part by Eastside Picture Framing, a conservation-quality picture frame shop located within the Canopy Creative Complex in East Austin. Eastside Picture Framing offers you exceptional custom framing and provides insights and recommendations throughout the entirety of the design process. From archival mounting, acid-free mat and backing selections, and UV glazing options, all the way to their wide selection of real wood and metal moldings, they provide the same level of care for each project, regardless of the size or budget. Please schedule your free consultation today on their website, eastsidepictureframing.com, or visit their Instagram page to see examples of their work, at eastsidepictureframing. On to the episode. Anne Mourier is a conceptual artist who was born in France and is now splitting her time between the East Coast and Italy. We met many years ago in New York City, and during my travels, I made a point to visit her and sit down for an interview. I'm impressed with her wisdom, groundedness, her dedication to research, and a commitment and openness to using any medium which might best communicate what she is trying to say with her work, exploring themes such as the feminine archetype, motherhood, quiet simplicity and beauty, home and the chores of domestic life, and maybe most importantly, the environment and respect for life and nature. Here is Anne. Uh, Well, thanks, Anne, for being on my podcast. Thank you, Scott. Um, I was thinking that we probably met 15 years ago or so when I was studying acting. When I lived here in New York City, I was studying acting with your daughter, Marion, and then we worked together on a film and um yeah and, and I spent a lot of time with Marion and then I saw you I came over the house and mm-hmm. so that's when we met and uh you know since I left New York 11 years ago uh you've I mean we can talk about your path but you definitely have been working in the direction of becoming an artist and started putting out your newsletter and somehow I got subscribed to that so over all these years I've been kind of following your career reading your your newsletter that comes out four times a year. And, um, and it just made me, you know, when I knew that I was coming to New York, you just popped into my head as the first person that I would want to interview. So sorry to all the other New York artists that I know, but, uh, I'm here, I'm here with Anne and, uh, I'm really curious, um, and interested to talk with you about your work because it's, it seems so very relevant and important. I mean, it feels like it's the subject matter is so important. I mean, I feel like it's about all of our well-being and survival in a way, and mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, you're you're trying to get at some core issues or core misunderstandings or 
you know, recognize the way things are skewed and you're kind of, you're starting as we, you know, I visited you earlier in your studio and you were talking about this kind of, it comes from, you know, originally exploring your relationship with your mother. And I mean, that's something we all have mothers and have all have issues or not issues with that relationship and, you know, unfold those throughout the rest of our lives. Anyway, I'm talking and talking here. I want to let you talk. Um, so where should we start? Um, yeah, maybe we could just start uh, with the story that you told me at the studio earlier, just kind of how this journey for you began as an artist. I mean, I know it's probably been your whole life, but um, maybe more intentionally as an adult. When I, when I was uh, young, I didn't study art. I studied uh, anthropology. Yeah. And, uh, and then I did different type of things that all had to do with creative and visual things but it was not purely art yeah and um, when my children um, started getting a little older and left the house I I, I felt like um, one of the things that I wanted to do in my life was to um, uh, fix my relationship with my mother and what I mean by that is also really trying to understand her and what happened to her mm. and how it you know impacted me also and yeah. uh, so I finally had the time because I had my first child Marion that you mentioned actually when I was 26 and uh, so fairly young I, I entered this you know mother's life and was very busy with these young kids and and so when they started to be on their own I was like okay now now I want to look back and you know what, what really happened why did I become yeah. a mother what is my relationship to my own mother what does it mean yeah. and it really started as a form of uh, almost therapy for me mm-hmm. and uh, so there was a first phase where it really helped me open the dialogue with her also and really mm. understand, you know, what a mother or woman also uh, growing up in her generation, what it meant and what what the limitations were and what yeah. the, the world meant at the time and, and, and then understand a little better what happened between us. And, um, and then I, I started realizing, you know, on contouring people that were coming to see my work at exhibition or something that uh, uh, what I lived with my mother was actually something fairly common in that generation. A mm. lot of women were impacted by the same stories. So it became something a little larger. And um, and then there was another phase where I realized that um, this imbalance uh, in the society between this feminine archetype and masculine archetype was also... Uh, really affecting men and um, yeah. I, I'm always using the word archetype instead of do, saying woman and men also because mm. it's very important for me to say that uh, it's not a question of woman or men uh, for me it's not a question of gender I feel like every human being um, has a, a percentage of a feminine and masculine yeah. inside yeah. him and uh, and I feel like um a lot of men are also affected one way or another by this imbalance. I feel like yeah. we all are. And, um, and by their relationships with their mothers, definitely. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. also. And then there was a last phase that is more recent, that is since a couple of years, where um, we are obviously uh, all affected uh, right now by what's happening with the planet and the environment. Mm-hmm. And, and then um, a lot of my work consists in research uh, about this feminine archetype and what it means. And, and then I realized that this um, discrimination of the feminine archetype had to do a lot with what's going on with the environment and the imbalance that we all feel in our yeah. cultures and society. So it, it just kept 
becoming something bigger than when I started yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. Way beyond just you and your mom. Yeah. Is your absolutely. mom still around? Yeah, my mom's still around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like you've, I don't know if you needed to heal that relationship, but I mean, has that evolved? Has it through your work? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it really, and the, the work really, what it allowed me to do is to open a dialogue with her on all this subject on a different level than the emotional level that goes mm. on between families. Sometimes it's hard to talk to your family because you love each other, you hate each other, you whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of emotions coming up. Yeah. And uh, so we were both looking at my work and discussing it and it was something outside of us. Yeah. Right. And it really allowed us both, you know, to look at it and open the dialogue. And so, so definitely um, it completely changed my relationship with her. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any moment in particular that felt like a real breakthrough or one piece in particular that like affected her or started a conversation that was really fruitful? I would not say there was uh, one piece in particular, but there was a moment in particular. One day she... Uh, proposed to buy one of my pieces oh, wow. and I and I told her I said well you're my mom you don't need to buy it if you <laughs> want it you can take yeah. it and she insisted on buying it she said no wow. it's also a way for me to support you and I want to know that uh, I own it you know this yeah. way it means something and stuff and that was really a turning point for me because mm. I was like wow it's not only that it's helping her and me understanding something uh, if she wants to have it on her walls at home and own it and something it yeah. was another level yeah well, that's an interesting circular thing that you're Absolutely. coming back to. <laughs> like she's where it started and then it comes back to her where yeah. she actually owns a piece of your work and looks yeah. at it every yeah. day. Wow, that's really amazing. So when I was at your studio earlier, you gave me a copy of one of your books, mm -hmm. your first book, mm -hmm. I'm assuming. And uh, there was quite a few things in there that um, interested me and kind of spurred uh, my curious mind and uh, one of them since we're talking about mothers you you said something in the book about how you always wanted to be an artist and a mother and i've spoken with a lot of artists female artists who have expressed this very similar sentiment but i'm just wondering how do you see those desires as being different or the same and where do you think they come from if that makes sense well, um, fairly recently, like about a year or two ago, I started being interested by astrology and, mm. and also a little bit by the tarot and something like that. And at one point, I came across this idea, you know, the, in astrology, there's this, this idea that these different houses that are, um, ruled by different planets and things mm -hmm. like that. And one of the house, usually these houses are packed with a bunch of things that kind of go together. They are seen as going together. Yeah. And one of them was the, the house of children, creativity, and love. Hmm. And they are all in the same house. And when I saw that, suddenly there was a click in my head. I was like, yeah. of course, creating a human being yeah. or creating artwork it's the same thing yeah you know yeah. you're basically creating something from scratch uh without knowing very well what you're doing right. and going with your intuition you know um, and getting along with how and then and then just like children um have their own you know identity in their own life and they right. develop the way they want uh when you give an artwork to someone who buys it or whatever you know something it takes his own life yeah. you know in a way so i think there's actually a lot of similarities yeah and then, and then whoever purchases the work or 
takes the work then has their own separate relationship with that piece absolutely that you don't even know about really i mean it has its own life like you're saying especially also what's always interesting because my work is very conceptual there's a lot of ideas usually behind it so i personally have a pretty clear idea of what i want to say when i doing something and a lot of times the people who come to visit my studio or decide to purchase a piece or something they see something else that i didn't see and uh, mm. and a lot of time it resonates in me i go like oh i didn't think like that but they're yeah, right great moments. there's there's oh, that wow. also yeah. in it or and sometimes it doesn't and it doesn't matter you know uh, mm-hmm. Maybe this is something that I don't want to recognize myself that I express mm, to it, or maybe yeah. maybe they just see something else that I was not expressing, but that's the way they receive it. Yeah, and uh, and I really like this um, relationship, actually. Yeah, yeah that is. Yeah. Uh, I've always enjoyed that myself. Yeah, I mean, you're we're all obviously going to perceive the work and the world in our own unique way based on our whole life, of course, um, and everything, all of our relationships and experiences. Um, Maybe we should talk about your work then. You know, when when would you, did you say seven years ago, you feel like that's when you kind of started in earnest working on artwork or? No, that's a lot more than that, actually. It's more like 15 years okay, ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you'd mentioned it was, was it photography? Is that where you started? So I actually started photography even a little bit before that. Okay. And, uh, and at the beginning for several years, I, I was doing only photography. Yeah, and uh, and I was doing it, uh, not showing it everywhere, anywhere, and not feeling ready to show it anywhere. Also, mm-hmm. and um, I was doing a little bit of interior decorating at the time, and um, I was uh, somebody asked me to do the interior decorating of an art gallery, hmm. and then this person after that said, um, "But you know, aren't you doing photography yourself?" And I said, "I said, yeah, a little bit." And so he, she asked to see my work. So I showed her my work and then she offered a, a show with my work. And uh, at first I was a little reluctant. I, I didn't really yeah. feel ready. And um, and like it goes often with the beginner's luck. You know, it was a good show. I yeah. sold a lot of work. So it really, I, I'm, I'm still thanking her to these days. You know, her name is Muriel Guépin. She has a gallery in the city. Uh, and, um, and it really gave me the confidence, you know, mm. to keep going. So after that, of course, there were moments that were not that fun where you know I didn't know what I was doing and didn't yeah. sell anything for a while or whatever but uh, but it really incidentally I was like oh maybe what I'm doing is interesting to people yeah and what was that work like I mean I know the themes have been pretty consistent throughout your, all of your work yeah right? actually the, this first series of photographies that I did uh, at that time they were uh, I was spending a lot of time in Brazil and I was very interested by um the the quality of the all the walls that they paint and mm-hmm. become almost like painting and this we were in neighborhood that was very poor and these people you know were looking at us coming from New York City as the lucky rich people which yeah. you know of course we were compared to them but at the same time they were living in place that had so much beauty mm. and I felt like it was not necessarily the case here yeah um, so I wanted to sh- more or less to show them you know mm-hmm. the, the beauty of their surrounding so so it was a lot of that at the time it's more when I started uh, soon after I started um, after that show you know it was yeah. a turning point for me uh, I started working on some more sculptural pieces and that's when I really started working on things that were more personal about my mother and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And when did you start working with miniatures? Because was that kind of early on too? I mean, that's been a theme too. Like what, tell me about the miniature aspect of your Well, work. I guess in that first phase of my career, because it was a lot about, um, like we said about this idea of understanding my mother and stuff. I felt like the miniature, they, they have um, a feel that they belong to a child world, you know, mm. and I even did some photography with miniature where, um, you know how when you have memories from your childhood, the size of things is always skewed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you go back to uh, yeah. <laughs> a house and you go like, oh, that was that big or yeah. that small or whatever. Right. Uh, so, so I guess the miniature they, they were that I was recreating little scenes from my childhood ah. and uh, and things like that, and they were they were allowing me to go back to the memories and you know mm. go deeper in the memories and working with your hands at the same time that you're trying to find your memories there's something uh, yeah. um, interesting about that so a lot of it was that i think the miniatures i think it's really good that you started with photography because you still utilize photography even though you might be making three-dimensional objects uh, like you were mentioning sometimes they end up as photographs of those objects, that is the piece, really, right? Yes. What happened is that at one point, I felt like I kind of needed to work with my hands. That's yeah. mostly, okay. you know, what what triggered. Uh, and I felt like photography is a great medium, but it doesn't allow that. You know, you yeah. don't work with your hands. And uh, But I still love photography, and I still photography is, is still um, a great medium sometimes, too. So... I'm not like the medium is not important to okay, me. Okay. Uh, the two things that are important to me is the message that I'm trying to pass and the aesthetic. The, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the aesthetic of the, the final piece. The medium, whatever, I don't know, sometimes it's even whatever is easier, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes it's whatever I feel like will express this idea the best. Uh, but I, I, for whatever reason, I don't know. There are certain ideas that come to me and right away I'm thinking of them in three-dimensional or, or in photography. Or, hmm. um, and sometimes, like I mentioned this morning to you, I think uh, they start as something. Like uh, I did this project in collaboration with someone where it's we were both you know, sure at the beginning that it was starting as a sculptural object and it ended up being a photography because we took some photography to actually present the project and we realized that the photography were maybe more powerful than the object itself. So, yeah. That's very interesting. I wonder maybe if we could, though, touch on a little bit more of the story of like your upbringing and your mom kind of, because I feel like that's such a an important basis for your work. I mean, you'd mentioned how a lot of the things that you incorporate now into your work, these kind of like handiwork, these, all these things were what you had learned a lot of these skills as a child. And that was part of your childhood. And that yeah. was part of your mom's, um, you know, interests in making sure you as a woman knew how to do certain things. Yeah. And, um, Maybe just uh, you know, maybe just share a little bit more about that context for your work to kind of give people an idea of like what what uh, the genesis is for what you're doing now, if you don't mind. Yeah, so my my mom was born in a in a small town in Normandy in France that is named Bayeux. It's a beautiful small town that was not destroyed during the war. Um, so my mom has a great sense of aesthetics. Uh, my daughters too. It's something that runs yeah. in my family. But I feel like actually living in beauty is something that triggers that also. Mm. So she she grew up in that 
beautiful little town and it has a big um, huge cathedral in the center of town uh, very conservative you know um, place very traditional also and she was really raised in a very traditional um Catholic type of upbringing, yeah. uh, where women had a certain position. So, um, so my mom was very, very pretty. And when she turned 15, she started, uh, attracting men. And that was not very well, uh, perceived by her family. Right. So, so suddenly they asked her to stay home. And, and, um, I was actually recently reading a book about women in France in the 19th century. And they were saying that it was absolutely mandatory for girls to learn all this women's work type of things. Yeah. You know, needle, needles and whatever, the embroidery, knitting, sewing. Yeah. Because the idea behind that was to keep their hands busy mm. and uh, their mind focused also on something and they will not think of going out and doing too many stupid things. Right. Okay. So boys were free to go out and yeah, play right. and, uh, and, but girls had to stay on the chair with their hands busy and their mind wow. busy. So it was, it was a way to really keep girls, you know, under certain boundaries. Mm -hmm. So, uh, when I grew up every weekend, my grandmother was coming home and, uh, and the three of us after lunch, uh, were spending the whole afternoon by the fireplace, uh, uh, you know, so me learning and, wow. and them doing more elaborate things. Yeah. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Remind me from our earlier conversation how you were kind of relating that story to what you feel like you've discovered about the relationship with, you know, of the female archetype with the patriarchy. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so... Um, and the history of that. And the history the of that, thousands of yeah. years and... Yeah. So what happened with my mother is that uh, when suddenly, you know, she was a young teenager and she started um, attracting boys because she was attractive. So she was not only attractive physically, she was also a, a very um, fun kind of solar personality, yeah. you know, that just attracts people naturally. Sure. And uh, But she was also very naive. At the time, there were not a lot of conversation about relationship and sexuality and things like that. And so suddenly, you know, she was locked down inside the house and she really didn't understand what was happening to her. It became very difficult for her, especially with this personality that was very outgoing. Uh, she, why suddenly, you know, was she not allowed to go yeah. outside and, you know, have friends and do things. And uh, so she tried to escape that environment as soon as she could. And uh, so she met my my dad when she was 19. And at the time, there was no contraception. She was pregnant right away. Yeah. And then she fell in the same situation at home with her husband almost. And, um, and she suffered from that a lot. And so she tried to uh, bend down to uh, what, the culture around her was asking from her, mm -hmm. uh, which was to be this woman sitting on a chair on a weekend and doing embroidery and not making noise and not complaining yeah. and, and being, uh, the perfect mom, which, uh, which stems a lot from this image that the Catholic religion has projected about women. The ideal woman in Catholic religion is the Virgin Mary. And it's an archetype that is, that has been difficult for women because it's one that is unreachable. As a, as a human being, yeah. you cannot be the Virgin Mary. You know, you cannot have children without having sex. And uh, so, mm -hmm. so this is, she's on the pedestal. And no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, yeah. you will never reach her. And mm -hmm. all the other ones are not desirable. And uh, so she tried to really be that archetype. So she was like working so hard 
to try to be the perfect mother. And my childhood actually was very comfortable. Dinner was always served on time. The, she was making all the food herself. We were always wearing like white clothes that were ironed perfectly. Yeah. So there was, there was a sense of security and something mm. very comfortable. But at the same time, I could feel my mom in a cage. Yeah. You know, and she could not be herself. So it was pretty unsettling all the time that I grew up because I was wondering, you know, first I could feel, I guess, her suffering. And I was also wondering, you know, when I grow up, what should I be? You know, should I be this woman that seems to be the right one? Is the other one the wrong one? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I realized actually, um, this is something that a lot of women in my generation, and even today, I, this is a, something that I discussed with my daughter also, uh, they still feel like there is this um, difficult relationship that women have with these two archetypes that seems to be separate. And that exists in almost every cultures in the world. It's not only Catholic, I discovered after that, yeah. you know. Um, but it's mostly in the three patriarchal religions, you know, the, the Abrahamic religion, so the Jews, the Islam, and, and Catholicism, where you have the choice between being the perfect mother or the prostitute, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in between. But the reality is that, uh, you know, uh, human beings are a blend of things. They are never, you know... Like this. Right, right, right. Yeah. And you had said um, earlier how, you know, you saw your mom in this kind of conflict of these two personalities almost. And Mm -hmm. you decided, you said become a tomboy I guess that was your solution. Yeah, that was my, uh, because I, I, I could not decide what, which one was the right one because the, the Virgin Mary type seems like not very happy and, and the other one seems not allowed or not uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so I decided, okay, maybe I should take another route and try something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's the where I found, you know, for, for, for a while to, to figure out this problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I feel like this, um, that's why it became a bigger subject for me because it's really, the core of this idea is really the problem with duality. And mm. this is, this is the problem of our society today, I feel. Um, this is, this is the problem with, uh, black and whites, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, uh, so many millions of people on this planet are neither white, white or black. <laughs> they yeah. also mix. Uh, this is the same thing with Democrats and Republicans. A lot yeah. of people have ideas that they pull from both, you know, party and, but we live in a society that is asking us, you know, to choose a, a side. Who the enemy is. Who yeah. the enemy is, exactly. And it's not reflecting life. It's mm. not reflecting what's really human, you know. Uh, so when it maybe comes to gender, it's like, you know, the idea is that, like you have to pick one or the other. You can't be a blend of the two. You can't be a guy that is sensitive that cries or mm-hmm. you can't be a woman who's bossy or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Or and driven it, or whatever. Yeah. It puts so many people in a position of not being able to be who they are mm. because most human beings, there are some human beings that belong to those extremes, you know, yeah. but it's a small percentage. Most human beings are a blend of things. Well, don't you think the younger generations are kind of figuring a lot of this out and they don't think this way anymore? I mean, that's what I'm hearing from a lot of people. So the thing is that I don't know if I will use the word figuring out because okay. I feel like in a way they 
they cannot do it anymore. They're fed up with it. Yeah. And they decided enough with this. We want to express ourselves and be ourselves. And they do. And I feel like in a way it's great because it really, I mean, life needs to come back. We cannot mm -hmm. be this cold, you know, uh, robot type of yeah. robot type of images or something. So I feel like there's something about humanity that needs to come out again. Now, does it always come? I feel it's a little bit chaotic also the way it's okay. coming out yeah. now yeah. Uh, sometimes. And for some people, it's confusing also. Um, I guess we decided to want to go from this total duality to total freedom. And, uh, and maybe sometimes there's something in between, you know, mm. um, I think sometimes some boundaries help you better define yeah. who you are, especially when you're young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, ultimately there should be a way in society to be able to express yourself as you are. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, um, I'm wondering if this might be a, um, a relevant or tangential kind of uh, conversation, uh, something that you had in your book talking about being between the woman and the saint. What does that mean? Well, that's that's what I I was describing to you earlier a little bit. You know, what I call the woman is oh, right. the human being, yeah, and the saint is this. Um, this virgin on the pedestal yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that, that we cannot reach and, you know, and, uh, but, uh, but it seems that for a lot of women in the society, this is the goal. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. It used to be at least yeah. less and less, but, uh, yeah. And so, as you said, you're doing a lot of research. You're reading a lot of books yeah. every week to try to, about this subject, about all these subjects, trying to understand and go deeper and take your work deeper. Yeah. I, I realized at one point that I love to read. I always did. And, uh, I did a lot of reading, of course, during my anthropology studies and stuff. And, but I realized that the more, the more I know about this archetype, the more I understand that it's so much more, you know, than what women are today or the way they live today. Or, mm -hmm. and then there's also the different, you know, um, areas of the planet and different cultures and, so I, I really wanted to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and the more I learn, the more the image becomes clear to me. Hmm. And from the maybe anthropo anthropological perspective, you were talking about how thousands of years ago, things were more balanced and they've only just recently gotten so skewed. Is that, was that essentially what yeah, you were saying? Yeah, this is, this is something that. that a lot of people don't understand because, of course, we barely remember anything uh, prior to you know, year zero of our time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And our history also covers almost only that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people don't know much about what happened before, you know, uh, besides a couple of animals running on the planet. Yeah. But um, before... Um, I will say it's a little bit more than 2,000 years ago. It dates back really from the Old Testament. And uh, so it's more like 2,500 years ago, mm -hmm. almost 3,000. But, uh, but for a long time, there were a lot of different civilizations that were very, very elaborate. Uh, um, a lot of them on the Mediterranean, like in Crete and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, these kind of places. And they were really what we what is called today partnership civilizations, mm. you know, uh, where men and women were really considered on the same level. So it doesn't mean, of course, that, you know, on the 
everyday basis, they were not, you know, couples that were fighting because one was trying to, you know, control the other or whatever. Right. But, but as a society, you know, the rules, the, um, I don't know if you can call laws, you know, what the, the way they had to function at the time, but the rules that were, you know, uh, going on were, were really fair. You know, human beings were human beings, you know, mm. and everything was considered divine. Um, Isn't that egalitarian? Is that is that a good word? Yeah, that? I yeah. think that's a good word. Yeah, and everything was considered divine, even like the relationship between human beings and animals, for mm, example. Yeah. You know, and the earth and, and the earth exactly. Yeah. Everything was considered divine, and everything was respected more or less. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then it changed with this, you know, patriarchal ideas where suddenly uh, some people considered themselves, you know, more valuable than others, and created some kind of hierarchy and and. Uh, and then that's when it all changed, yeah. 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 And women have suffered the most because of that, really. Women that suffered the most because of that. I will say even more women and the, the planet. Yeah. Have right. both suffered and Mother the most. Nature. As and Mother women, Nature. The feminine. Exactly. Of, of the exactly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we could pivot a little bit to talking about uh, this other statement from, uh, I think maybe your website, you said. You say, my work is about the search for home. That's kind of a different side of it. Um, or maybe or not. Does that still feel true? My work is about the yeah, search for home. Yeah, I will not say that it's completely a different subject because home, of course, can be, you know, the physical home, but home also is who you are. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, you know, definitely since the beginning of my work, I've been on search, in the search of, who I am as a daughter, who I am as a mother, mm. who I am in this world, you know. So what also feels like it connects me to this planet, you know, this yeah. kind of thing. So it's it's home in the large sense of belonging to the earth. And uh, yeah. and uh, so, so there's a lot of things be- behind this word home. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like a lot of us... Um, are feeling disconnected these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, disconnected from our home, the planet, disconnected from, even from each other and, uh, um, or from ourselves. Or our, from ourselves. Our, our home, our only home. Exactly. So, so <laughs> there is all these ideas actually behind this idea of, uh, the search for home. Mm. Yeah. I think maybe we should talk about more specifically about some of your work to maybe okay. kind of elaborate, uh, what we've been talking about. You have your Marie's, Mary's, I don't know why I see keep saying Mary's, you have your Mary's exhibition. When was that? So actually, um, this is funny that you're saying this two, these two ways, because I had two exhibitions. What that was, that happened in France, that was Mary's, mm-hmm. and another one that was Mary's okay. also. So okay. there, there's both. Uh, this is actually, uh, the second one was another version of the same idea, but it, it happened uh, where actually uh, the Marys were in Venice in Italy okay. and I wanted it to be more international so call it with the English version of the name mm-hmm. uh, this uh, the one you are referring to it's an opportunity that I had um, somebody introduced me to um, a couple that uh, own 
uh, one of those noble estates in Normandy, um, those are usually beautiful because they have been very protected over the years. Yeah. So it's a lot, a lot of land and um, they are a farm uh, where they make cider, okay. uh, very traditional, you know, type of things in Normandy. And on their estate, they have a, a beautiful chapel that was... Um, Desacralized, you said? Mm -hmm. this, yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, the man actually was in the art world. He spent 10 years in New York working with a great artist and stuff. And it was important for him to continue, you know, exploring the arts and stuff. So they, they offered actually the, the chapel to artists. And this chapel happens to be a few miles, five miles from where my mother was born, that oh, town wow. of Bayeux that I, yeah. um, I, I was talking about before. And so I did two projects with them. So this first one was the Marys. So, uh, so what I did is like, um, I borrowed a lot of, uh, old furniture from a friend over there. I wanted to do something that looked like an attic because I wanted, it was about my memories, about my family and, you know, mm -hmm. from close by. And so I wanted to look like almost somebody was digging into an attic and, you know, mm -hmm. trying to find their memories. So I set up a big, big pile, um, of furniture in the center of the, of the church. And, and then I just placed the artworks, you know, uh, on it, just like if it was left there and people could go around it and, you know, at their own pace and just, you know, find it. So every artwork had a little candle in front of it to mm -hmm. highlight it a little bit. And, um, when everything was installed, um, I realized that it was one of the first thing of this type that they had done before they had done a lot of concerts or just a weekend exhibition or something. This one was a big setup. It was there for three months and we realized there was nobody to supervise it. And, uh, mm. and the chapel was by itself, you know, on the fields. And they were certainly concerned that all this artwork will be, you know, people go when they want to this yeah. chapel and stuff. And I, I don't know. I decided to trust it and I just left, um, a notebook for people to put their comments and it was really fantastic because at the end of the summer we realized that more than 4,000 people had visited the exhibition wow. and a lot of them had left some notes you know in it and uh, uh and so, no vandalism or theft no nobody touched anything nobody yeah. touched anything so it was really great to see that people respected it and then you know they started already they had the intention to grow bigger but they wanted to make some kind of um, art walk in their land mm -hmm. so they offered to for me to do a permanent piece also and um usually i work small uh you know you mentioned the miniatures i like yeah. to be just on my table doing my small things i never did things outside before my first gut reaction was like mm, i'm not sure uh yeah. that this is for me to do and how do also this idea of the home, you know, I, I like interiors, I like, um, yeah. so, and, uh, and then as I was walking on the grounds, I noticed this uh, very old house that was huge. I mean, it was, uh, I think it was um, 20 feet high and, uh, mm -hmm. and very, very long. And it was covered with a vine that was dead. Mm. And it was right in front of a beautiful field. It was in July, all the wheat was growing. And, and suddenly I was like, wow, you know, mothers again you know mm -hmm. maybe i can do something with that so i decided that um to try to on my way which can never be su as successful as mother earth you know what she can do yeah. but i decided to try to give life again to this um this vine so 
two years later, I came back with a crew of uh, 15 people mm. and uh, we painted every single little vines in red. Wow. Um, and that, that was a lot of fun. So it's a project that was called uh, Alma Mater. Mm-hmm. And it was the idea is to say, you know, the goddess used to be alive. The feminine used to be alive. The feminine used to be, you know, you, you could look at it. You could, it was part of the society. It was not undermined. So it, it was this idea of just putting it in front of people. Mm-hmm. Like, like, look, this is, there's some, almost some blood going to these yeah, yeah. veins, you know. Wow. That's yeah. quite a project. Um, the, the piece that was in the chapel, you had written, that it dealt with parameters history has placed around the individual, the woman, and our human condition. I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, so I think this this sentence was kind of um, it's kind of explaining this idea that that I feel like you know religion, especially, but you know culture, of course, you know, yes, they, they, they have placed parameters on people. Like you can do this, but you cannot do that. You know, you have to look like this Virgin Mary and you cannot be that. And, yeah. uh, and especially in France, it's a society that is pretty, uh, uh, difficult. And still today, you know, it's, it's an old society where a lot of rules were imposed on people. Mm. Um, the feminine archetype can be, when, like matriarchal societies, for example, were a little bit chaotic. You know, the masculine archetype is about law and order. Yeah. And, you know, it can be useful too sometimes. You really yeah. need the balance between the two. So, so I think that's how it came, uh, in Europe. It needed order, except at one point it went too far that way. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, so um, it, when I left France 32 years ago, it was one of my main reasons to leave. Mm. I felt like there were a lot of rules, a lot of boundaries, a lot of, uh, and especially for women. Just especially too restrictive. Yeah, too yeah, 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 yeah. Especially, especially for women. Wow. Yeah. What does commuting instead of communicating mean? Well, communicating is definitely useful uh, but I feel like it's something that is a little bit as these qualities that we were talking before but being a little bit disconnected uh, a little bit cold this yeah. uh, so of course you know to function you know you need to communicate but it's lacking the human part I feel I feel like this is the main problem of our society mm. today is like we we are living disconnected from our it's almost like if our bodies were cut in half where there was the brain the thinking the rational you know the science the all of that mm-hmm. which is great you need it but but we also need our feet on the ground and we also need our roots and we also need to feel yeah. and i feel like this is the difference between communicating and communing communing is more about like okay you know rationally this that you know we can think that we can discuss that utilitarian really exactly but there's also what i feel with my heart and sometimes you know i mean i feel like the two are very useful tools for human beings to guide their life to direct themselves in what they want to do and mm-hmm. stuff and we we really lost that uh that part of the um, the, the feeling the, you know the, the intuition is uh is one of the main sim character 
I don't know how to say symbol maybe of the, the feminine archetype, mm. uh, qualities of the feminine archetype. And this is something that is very dismissed in it this is. society. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, if it's written in a book or if you feel it, uh, what's important is what's written in a book, not yeah. what you feel. Even if sometimes your guts are telling you really strongly, okay, maybe this book was written wrong. Maybe somebody made a mistake here. Yeah. But, um, we, we, I feel like this is the whole problem in general of the way we live right now. Instead of keeping this balance between these two archetypes, we give too much value to one. So it doesn't mean, again, that I'm I'm not... Um, a lot of people call me a feminist artist. Mm. I don't like this term too much because I feel like it, it um, refers a lot to feminism the way it was in the 70s and 80s, you know, yeah. which was very much like, we're fed up with this. We need, we need some freedom. We need some rights. And it was very much against men. And, um, like I said, this is, this is not my, um, my journey at all. I, yeah. I feel like, um, this, this is not the way I feel, but I You're really not taking feel, sides. no, yeah. mm -hmm. but I really feel like what's important for all of us is, is this balance between the, between the values that each of them represents, you know, mm -hmm. because like I said, the feminine archetype alone can be very chaotic. We, we need a little bit of organization and timeline and law and order and, and competition and money and all of that. this is part of life too. Yeah. But we also need, um, taking care and nurturing and, and um, and acknowledging uh, the beauty of our bodies and you know uh, of yeah. all bodies and you know and uh, and and intuition and feelings and all of this absolutely yeah i wonder if there isn't something to and i know this for some people this might be a little woo woo but the idea of grounding and how you know like actually placing your body your feet on the actual earth i feel like so many people don't ever touch the earth. I mean, you can go decades without ever touching the earth. You're in your house, you go outside, you have shoes on, you get in the car. You never actually connecting with that, the electricity, the, the, the energy of the actual planet in a literal way. You know what I mean? I wonder if that's part of it too. I think it's a big part of it. And I think this, um, you know, things that are, Coming up right now, like tree hugging and these kind of things, mm -hmm. that's because people miss that. Yeah. They, they miss this part of life and of who they are. And, uh, uh, you know, like I, at one point in my life, I was doing a little bit of interior decorating and I got really interested in uh, the philosophy of Feng Shui. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, in the past until, uh, I will say, uh, until the, 16th century, 17th century, for example, in Europe and, and all over the world. It was in China and in, in Asia. Nobody would have think in their right mind to build something without first, you know, feeling the energy of the place. Like all mm. the, all the very important religious places in France, for example, the cathedral, they are all built on ley lines and that have a certain type of energy. It, it, I mean, it was obvious to people. Yeah. That's what we lost. That's what we lost. We mm. lost that connection with, uh, with, with the cosmos, with the, with the earth, with, with, with our universe, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were talking this morning, you and I, about, uh, even the way we consume food, how, how disconnected we are to this, you know, yeah. we have no clue of the seasons anymore and what, uh, you know, because we have air conditioning and heat in our house and we, you know, this doesn't affect us that much, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So things are very regulated. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Consistent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you personally 
do you have any personal daily practices or weekly practices that kind of help you reconnect with these things to kind of help you further the momentum and the growth of all of everything that you've figured out that you've realized? Yes, absolutely. Because um, when I started realizing that, uh, you know, for a lot of us and certain people more than others or whatever, but uh, we were disconnected from the earth, I, I felt like I wanted to um, to have a practice, you know, yeah. to, to because because the way we live is really f- pushing us to disconnect. And uh, so I'm doing a couple of things. I'm doing um, a moon circle with a couple mm. of uh, people uh, once a month on the full moon uh, and sometimes on the dark moon too. Um, so this is something that really helped me be a lot more aware, you know, of those cycles of, you yeah. know, uh, the moons. And it, of course, it also triggered other interests, but like the, the study of astrology also, uh, of course. But also, um, I'm doing a little bit of meditation. Um, I'm trying also to... Uh, as somebody born in France, it was, it has always been pretty natural to me, but, uh, but I'm trying to do it even more since a couple of years. It's really like cook for myself mm. and, and, uh, and make sure I'm, I, I touch the food, you know, that I cook yeah. for myself. Like yeah. uh, in Feng Shui, for example, this is one thing that is, uh, described like the way your kitchen is organized and the fact that your kitchen feels safe is a very important thing because they feel in Feng Shui that, if your kitchen doesn't feel safe, for example, let's say you have a door behind your back and you cannot look at it and you're going to be surprised constantly if somebody comes in and you mm. can injure yourself if you're yeah. in the middle of cutting something with a knife and somebody opens the door suddenly. Yeah. Um, so the energy of the person that cooks, you know, goes to the food and then it goes to feed your body. Yeah. So if, if somebody is not comfortable, is anxious constantly cooking in their kitchen, it's going to affect their health eventually. Yeah. Or they might just not want to be in there. Yeah, you know exactly. So they might start, mm. you know, ordering food all the time because they don't want to be in there. Or so all of these are uh, very important things for our health, for our well-being. For uh, uh, so I'm trying to be aware of these things, and uh, uh, I'm working with a mentor uh, also guides me sometimes when I, I need guidance and fairly recently she she told me to do a practice actually she said right before you go out for your day in the world you know hmm. when you once you have your coat on and your bag and your keys in your hand and your phone and she said spend just 20 seconds in front of your door close your eyes and feel your feel your feet and ah. feel the ground and this is very useful yeah this is very useful it's very simple but uh, but it is useful because especially when you interact with the outside world, it's easier to be connected inside your house. It's yeah, safe. Right. It's your own ground, your own stuff. You know the energy of the things that are in your house. You mm-hmm. know, it, when you go outside, that's when you be confronted to different things that can be good for you, not good, whatever. That's when you need to be really grounded. Yeah. You know. Yeah. To, to feel, you know, is this, this proposal that this person is giving to me, is it, is it good for me? Is it what, what I really want to do, you know, also? Yeah, and if you're not connected to yourself, you might just, you, you might not make a decision that's in your best interest, really. Exactly. Like it's intuitive, like you're saying, yeah. like maybe you're not in tune with your intuition or maybe you don't know how to listen to it. And also because we live in a society that is telling us that success looks a certain way mm-hmm. uh, and that success is a good thing and that's what you need. And that's what I realized, for example, at one point I've, at my career uh, where I was, 
you know, starting to have people coming to me to offer me certain things and stuff. If it was something visible, I was considering good. Oh, good. I've got to get more visibility. I'm going to get a momentum. And a and couple of times I said yes to things that were actually not good for my work. They mm. were not, they were not uh, places that were. Uh, the right place to show my work, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, for different reasons. Sometimes it was the setting of the place. Sometimes it was the philosophy of the place. Mm. And, uh, and I just, I realized I was just doing it because it looked like what the next step should be right. or what people call success, you know. And, uh, and so after that, I stopped doing that after one or two experiences that I didn't enjoy in, uh, or working with people that I didn't have anything in common with or something. Yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, you know, Success is happiness, and uh, this is doing things that you feel are right, are just uh, so. So I'm 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 not doing that anymore. That's good, but yeah, you definitely have to be. You have to be in a p position mentally and physically to to know what you want or what feels right. I mean, it's some some people. I mean, I I I include myself. You know, it's sometimes I'm totally disconnected from oh, yeah. what I want or what I need, and uh, it's hard to communicate that. I know that you are very interested also, like I am also by, by food and farming and things like yeah. that. I was discussing with somebody in Venice recently and she was uh, reminding me that um, if you don't feed your body with things that are really, you know, healthy and nutritious, uh, your brain doesn't function properly and yeah. you are even more disconnected. You yeah. know, it, it affects your your intuition, your grounding, your, your way of, you know, receiving these interactions with people. Yeah. So I think there's a level of trust there too. It's like your body might even trust that you're going to treat it well and then you don't, then you're kind of building this distrust in yourself. Absolutely. And then maybe you distrust your feelings and Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. it's a vicious circle, you're right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe we should talk then about your taking care performances. You've done 3 of those. Those are sound really amazing dealing with these maybe you'd call simple pleasures or kind of just very basic kind of activities. Maybe talk about those. Yeah, so this idea came up because um, it was actually at the same time where I accepted a couple of exhibitions that were not right. And I, I don't know, I came across an interaction with someone where I felt like this person will not do anything unless there was something in it for her. Hmm. And, uh, and certainly I, I was thinking about it and being a mother actually for, I mean, I'm still a mother, of course, but I mean, especially at the time I was raising my kids at home and they yeah. were, you, you really have to uh, give a lot and without a return, you know, because children are there to grow and to flourish. Yeah. They don't think, you know, they are not there to help you. Right. You're there to help <laughs> them. Uh, so, as a mother, I, I think that's why it's such a beautiful job also, because it teaches you that, really. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I, when that person told me that, I was like, well, you know, where did it go, this idea of doing something for free? You know, just because you're going to make somebody happy, or and then it makes you happy in return. And there, there's not necessarily always the need for money exchange or, or even, you know, an exchange, materialistic exchange, I should yeah. say. Of course, the materialistic exchange and the money exchange are useful too. We all sure. need to pay our rents and uh, sure. the food at the supermarket. You cannot deny that. But, uh, but, I, but you know... Once in a while, you should also be able to do something for free. Yeah. So, and especially in New York City, which uh, which is um, a city where you know uh, 
capitalism is at its, um, you it's know, the height. Yeah, at, at its height. You, you you feel like a lot of time people always think in terms of money and what they're gonna gain for, from something. Mm -hmm. And I I just wanted to do something very simple where I will offer something with two people and just very gently just remind them that you know hey we can all do that um so mm. my mother had told me the story just before uh, a couple of weeks before of her own mother who didn't own a washing machine they they lived in a small ground floor apartment where they had a little courtyard and uh, she had four kids and This little town in Normandy is very cold in the winter. And uh, every Monday, you know, December, January, whatever, she was going outside for the whole day, starting very early in the morning. And the whole day she was washing, you know, the clothes for everybody by hand yeah. in cold water and whatever. Wow. And uh, so I was like, well, that should be tough. And then my mom reminded me, yeah, but, you know, no washing machine. So it means you don't wash only the clothes. You also wash the sheets and the towels and the diapers from the baby babies and the menstrual pads from the yeah. girls and the, and suddenly I started you know envisioning this tremendous work you know yeah. that uh, my grandmother was doing I was like wow that's devotion you know uh, mm -hmm. and so and I also feel like there's also something beautiful in the scene you know like I said the aesthetics are important to me too mm -hmm. I feel like beauty is something that feeds us also mm -hmm. uh, so I was like wow the white laundry the smell of the soap the That's what I want to do. Yeah. So I just started a performance where, um, so I did it a couple of times. I did it one time at the Invisible Dog Art Center where I work in Brooklyn. I did it one time at the public library um, on Quantarmi Plaza in Brooklyn also. And I did it one time at uh, uh, on Governor's Island where mm. they have a program. And uh, so basically, people uh, were uh, encouraged to drop off clothes the week before. You know, we had a basket set up and stuff. And uh, and then I will wash it for them, dry it, iron it. Uh, and then uh, only with natural products, you know, the, the soap from France that is very yeah. natural. And then a little bit of lavender sprig in it and, and just return it to them. Yeah. And not asking them for anything in return. Yeah. But just generating... and. Um, The first time I did it, something beautiful happened because mm. it was really what I was looking for, but I didn't know it was going to happen this way. I'm always trying with my work because this feminine archetype is so important to me to not have a hierarchy where my work is going to be shown in places where only certain of people go or that is going to interest only certain of people. Yeah. And we did it, um, we did it, uh, in the public place that is open to the outside and suddenly I noticed that the people who, that were coming to me talking to me putting their hands in the water with me were all kind of people mm. a curator from one of the major museums in New York City came and talked to me about it and tried to wash the stain himself And then the next minute, it was some workers, you know, that were working on the building and came and say, well, you know, uh, my mom in Mexico, she still washed like this too. Can I help you? And, yeah. you know, so, wow. so you had the whole spectrum, some moms that were, wanted to show their kids that, oh, you see, this is the way grandma used to do it or, um, you yeah. know, things like that. I mean, it, I really had all kind of people from different, uh, backgrounds, you know, different part of the society. And mm -hmm. I really like this coming together yeah it was yeah. really really beautiful wow. to see yeah and you also you did some dinners but i'm kind of interested in hearing about 
the uh, the taking care performance where you were washing people's feet. That seems very intimate. Yeah, so it that's makes me think uh, of the Pope, you know, really. <laughs> That's a more more recent one, uh, but I was I actually happened to read a book also that had to do. Uh, so a lot of people have heard the story of you know the Christ and the and the washing of the feet, and it feels very religious to most people. But actually, uh, at the time, it was a very 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 common thing. Like a lot mm. of people were doing it. It was not only the Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was something that people were doing at the time. You. You were not giving gifts to people in a materialistic way, a lot the way we are doing it today. But a sign of humility, a sign of the fact that you wanted to take care of somebody was to wash their feet. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is very humble, of course. And I feel like we live also in a culture that is very proud. We are always trying to go to the top. We're never trying to go down, right? And I felt like, um, like, yeah, doing that for, for, for people will be interesting. And some couple of very, very interesting things happened during this performance. Mm. One of them is like, I set it up thinking that I'm going to be the humble person washing people's feet. And uh, so I set this little, you know, setup where people were a little bit higher than me because it was more comfortable, you know, for me to bend down and wash their feet and stuff. So they were actually sitting on something that looks almost like a throne, you know, higher than me and stuff. And actually what happened along the performance is that it turned around, it became almost the opposite. Like people were so thankful that I was doing them that suddenly I was the good person. I was a that's not what I, I really wanted. Mm. So it was, it was kind of, you know, wow. strange yeah. how the dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, happened. And then, uh, one thing that happened also is, um, the first day I did it, I came back home after five hours of performance. I was absolutely exhausted, but at a point that was, almost abnormal. I have done the performance of washing the laundry, for example, a lot more physical than sitting on a chair and washing people's feet. And uh, so I told my husband, I'm going to go to bed early. I have another one tomorrow. I went to bed at 8.30. I woke up the next morning. I was even more tired. Wow. And I was like, wow, something is wrong. Yeah. So I called up this woman who is my mentor and uh, and I told her, I said, what do you think about that? You know, what would, and she said, wow you are receiving, they are just dumping their energy on you. You know, wow. they, the, you know, the things that they want to get rid of, all the things. And actually people that I didn't know started talking about very intimate things and stuff. And I, I realized mm. that. And she told me, she said, that's not a problem, you know, but you just have to remember to ground yourself between each one, each person. Mm. So you can, you know, let that go too, you know, yeah. and, and then like replen- being a therapist exactly, and, and replenish yourself. Yeah. And, and so the second day I did that, I took a minute or two in between, you know, to ground myself and replenish myself. And it went completely fine the second day, wow. but it was intense. Wow. It was intense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. I love uh, performances like that, that interact with people and kind of, uh, take everyone out of the norm. You know, yeah. I mean, that is so not something you would experience normally. Yeah. Um, yeah, the dinners, um, the dinners, so they are dinners for 12. And, um, so they are real dinners where we serve food and we let people take the time also to eat their food and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is, I wanted to raise an awareness because usually when you, I noticed that when you talk about taking care and especially you're doing a performance called taking care, the idea that people get right away 
even more with the dinner is like you're going to take care of them mm. and I wanted to raise the awareness that there's so much more in the idea of taking care so of course I talk for example I encourage them to take care of each other for example take mm. care of the person sitting next to you you know make sure this person has enough water whatever we have little blankets on the chairs make sure these kind of things but also taking care of objects um, I went to Japan a few years ago and I really fell in love about you know the the homes over there are very small. People own very few things. So they usually buy very special, precious, beautiful things that they take care of. Yeah. Because they, you know, and uh, so they repair them. They have this, you know, philosophy of the kintsugi to repair things and stuff. And, and um, of course, this is so much less waste for the environment yeah. than throwing things away. And, you know, and so, so this is, I, I wanted to really enlarge for people this idea of what taking care mm. means. And uh, and try to highlight uh, the fact that this consumerist society, of course, is not taking care of the planet. Yeah, with all the single-use plastic. Yeah, I mean, I use plenty of it myself, but it's yeah, it's definitely. I I, I wonder if there isn't. I mean, it's I don't know if it's a conspiracy. I think there's a documentary about it, but it's just I think it's good to recycle, but I think that recycle in a way almost encourages a lack of mindfulness around consuming recyclables, you know? I, I completely agree because I think it gives people, including me, I mean, I'm not a, a, a better, you know, like feel about it. You go like, yeah. okay, I'm recycling it, so it's not that bad. Uh, but there's, what we don't realize is um, is the joy that there could be in in beautiful objects let's mm. say real plates instead of paper plates you know if you if you save some money and you buy some nice one and and they were made by an artisans and you know yeah. this person and you know and it, you can feel the hands of the person in it and stuff like that then you it's almost a pleasure to wash them yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. when uh, eating in a plastic plate is never going to give you any pleasure no matter what <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right and cooking you know and buying uh, a meal in a box or a plastic container as opposed to just buying vegetables and cooking them or whatever yeah i mean there's no shame i mean everyone's doing the best they can i do the best uh, i can absolutely. i'm not perfect absolutely um uh, you know but uh, yeah it's, it's more a, it's a goal yeah you know? the idea is, is definitely not to shame anybody because we all do you know uh we, we, we picked our areas yeah. usually, but we all do things that are, are not good. But it's, it's just more like, I think it's important to raise an awareness to the fact that actually we got into all these habits, but they were kind of, I, I was going to say forced, but it's not the word. They were presented to us, uh, by a capitalist society that is trying mm -hmm. to sell us something as something that will be better for us. But I think when you go back to things that you do with your hands and, uh, and especially when it involves something beautiful and stuff, it's, it's just that I think that's good for us. That's bringing us more joy, but mm -hmm. it's, you need to experience it to feel that. Yeah. And we got used to so many things that we do. Uh, like, for example, washing, washing your clothes by hand. I'm, I'm honest. I don't want to go back to my grandmother's time and have yeah, to, yeah, yeah. have to wash the sheets every week and stuff like that. But once in a while, I, I wash some precious things by hand. Just the smell, the time that is almost meditative. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really beautiful. So I think, I think there is a balance where we should sort out between the things that are really, really, really making our life easier and better and the things that are not, you know.
And there are a lot of them, I think. Yeah. And maybe incorporating a few practices that really are more grounding, like you're saying, that are more special. Um, Yeah. Do you feel like we're, I was going to just maybe, we could finish talking about your book, your latest book, but is there anything else that you feel like we've missed or anything really core to how you feel about things that you haven't said? No, I don't think so. Maybe the one thing I want to say is like, um, you know, what I'm trying to do also with my work is not only pass a message, but also be grounded in the tools that I use to pass the message. Mm. So I'm trying to actually, as much as I can, because I'm a human being and we all have our flaws, but I'm trying to be as non-judgmental as possible and uh, and um, as collaborative as possible, also uh, as non-controlling as possible, you know, with mm. my work. And um, so basically, you know, the way I do it is just, I'm just trying to just remind people and present what the feminine archetype is about, you know, nurturing and the feminine body and this and you know that and, and just present it just so it's there. Mm-hmm. And people, if they want to, if they feel like it, if they feel this imbalance and they feel attracted to it, they can just, you know, incorporate these images and try to rebuild this idea of the feminine inside them. But, uh, but I'm never trying, I'm not, uh, I'm not political at all in my work. I'm not yeah. trying to push any ideas. I'm just trying to be to be there. That's yeah. all. That's the feeling I get from it. Yeah. I mean, it's they're like yeah, they're kind of uh, gentle statements. I mean, they're they're but it's there. It's there's there, there's power behind it, but it's not smacking you in the face. I mean, it's like a yeah. very beautiful subtle kind of communication. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's good. So yeah, your latest, let's talk about your latest book and the work that's related to that uh, on harmony. Yes. So on harmony, um, so I was, uh, I was working in, uh, in, in Italy, in uh, Venice, um, in uh, January, February, 2020. Hmm. Um, I met uh, a gentleman, an old gentleman that is 86, that was 86 years old at the time. And um, he does letterpress and he's one of the uh, oldest, you know, in Venice and he has the oldest, you know, press there and stuff. Yeah. And I really got along with him and, you know, this is not something I had done before, but it happened to me often, actually, if I meet someone I would work with, then I'm, I'm going to create the work to be able to work yeah, with that person. Right. So I kind of, I met him and I had this idea, well, I need to do something with Paolo. His name is Paolo Olbi. And, uh, and then uh, the pandemic uh, started happening. And um, I was wondering if I should go home or not. And I decided to give myself another week thinking that she'll be fine to be able to finish the work I was doing. And then boom, complete lockdown. Yeah. So, uh, so I happened to stay locked down in Italy for five months. Oh yeah. Wow. And, uh, and of course I was alone and, uh, in a very small place that looks like a, an hotel room almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a lot of time to think and, and, yeah. um, I tried to, um, figure out at the time what was so attractive to me about this city. I, I have always been attracted by Venice. I'm, I feel very creative when I'm over there. Mm. there there's something, actually, I have described it uh, as, uh, it feels like home. 
Mm. Uh, it also feels very protective, almost like a mother, you know. Yeah. This this mother feeling that I miss, missed a little bit, you know, when I was a child, I feel it there. Mm. And I started thinking, you know, okay, why? What is that? Especially with this city that was empty from its tourists and stuff. It was a, it was easier to, you know, try to grab what was going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly I started realizing, I was like, I know, I know what works. I know why it feels so beautiful. I know why so many people are attracted almost under a spell, you know, when, uh, when you go to this city. It doesn't happen to everybody, but there are a lot of people, they feel like they are really under a spell. Hmm. And, um, and I was like, Suddenly, I know what it is. It's, it has this balance of the masculine and the feminine. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, uh, I mean, I describe it a little bit in my book, but for example, the presence of the water is very feminine. Yeah. But it's also a city that has a, a big arsenal and that was at war for a long time. And, uh, and mm -hmm. that is a lot also about, you know, commerce and money and, you know, things like that. So, but, but you look at every aspect of the city, you have this balance. And suddenly I was like, wow, that's what makes it beautiful. Mm. And I started thinking, you know, what are the other things that I really, you know, feel passionate about, that I really love, that I feel like nourish me, you know. So I started thinking about a couple of artworks in the world that I really, you know, admire and stuff. And, and I realized that all the things that I found beautiful, that I found like were really having this perfect energy you know that gives me peace and and feel like they're fulfilling me like if i if i'm in front of that i don't need anything else i don't need yeah. to buy stupid stuff or whatever yeah. uh, they all had this balance between the feminine and the masculine and mm. so i decided to do a book about that and uh, at first uh, i wanted to write something and then i realized you know writing is actually a very masculine uh, thing it's uh, There's a, a very interesting book that is called The Goddess and the Alphabet. I forgot the, the author, but it was a very interesting book that actually explained that um, the world became a lot more patriarchal after we invented writing. Mm -hmm. Because it's a linear way of thinking. You read the sentence, you know, from left to right. Yeah. Images, you, when you look at an image, you read it in a more global, circular way. Mm -hmm. And he was actually thinking that All the changes that are happening in the world today uh, have to do with our iPhones. Oh, because yeah. because we get use of getting information now a lot more to images again yeah. than, than to a linear book. Wow. And then suddenly I was like, ah, maybe writing a book is not, it doesn't, like I said, I want to use the tool also that supports my idea. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Maybe writing a book is not supporting this idea of the balance right. between the two. So I decided the book will be comprised of um, little poems that will be written, but poetry is something that is a little bit more intuitive than just yeah. you know, writing. And then some drawings that will be a little bit descriptive and feel like uh, this is something that people can go to to directly understand what I'm talking about. And then also a third element uh, that will be uh, a more abstract watercolor, you know, so uh, type of thing. So, mm -hmm. so each uh, subject has these three elements for people to apprehend the idea. And uh, so it was the idea. And I, and I was thinking maybe if I present to people um, this 
things they, they are very different from each other uh, that are very balanced maybe people will intuitively understand what this yeah. what this harmony is you know mm. what this balance is and maybe they will be uh, uh, tempted to um, see it more and have it more in their life or, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. well maybe at the end here thanks for sharing that um and you also have a gallery in Venice too. Yes, yes, I right opened a gallery in Venice. Of the yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons I was over there. <laughs> yeah, I, we opened on the so it's a place that is called Corte dell'Arte, and we opened on February 29th and we closed on March third. <laughs> okay, and we opened later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe at the end here we could just talk about what you have, what you're looking forward to in the future, and maybe personally in your career, but then also. You know, maybe things that you're feeling optimistic about, about the world or about people or anything like that, you know? Yeah, I, I am, um, I am feeling optimistic because like you said, you can observe a lot of changes right now. You mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, I'm very optimistic about the young generation, you know, the, the, the people that are between, um, I don't know, uh, 10 and 35 yeah. today or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Because um, you can feel like they are really shaking things, you know, in every ways. And like I said, maybe it's a little chaotic, you know, in certain ways. And uh, uh, But we need the change. And um, so I, I really think that they were, they felt like our system didn't work well anymore. And they are trying. They are trying it their own ways. But I'm, I'm really confident that they're going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And personally, just with your work or what you have coming up, anything in particular? Well, for for a long time, I was not too sure of what exactly my role on this planet was. Mm. You know, it was it was for sure. You know, it felt right uh, to be a mother, for example. Uh, but now, you know, we we have. F- fed also with this idea that we have to be so much yeah you know and um and of course it's not true because each of us has a you know specific talent or specific things we are good at or something and it's enough and i i finally feel at the place of my life now that i'm enough you know i'm trying to do my best with my little corner of what i know how to do yeah and so my goal is to keep passing this message uh, this message and hoping that uh it's going to affect the life or the way of thinking of certain people uh that's what i know to do best and uh you know there are maybe some other ways that are bigger more efficient or whatever but this is not what i'm good at yeah so i feel i feel right because i feel like i'm accepting yes who i am what i the tools i was given to to work with and i feel like it's my place and uh and i'm just hoping that um the universe will provide me with the opportunities to keep you know uh, uh showing this message and uh yeah. and to more and more people if possible and reach out you know, more people. Uh, success doesn't look to me like more, uh, more money or my name on bigger letters or bigger museum yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But it looks like that. It looks like, it looks like being able to, you know, reach more people with this yeah. idea. Nice. Yeah. Well, I hope I can help with that a little bit with this. With That's this why I'm also, I'm very happy to do this interview for a lot of reasons, but, uh, yeah. but this one too, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so grateful for you and I'm so happy that you've found that, you know, mission, that personal mission and kind of clarity. Yeah. That a lot of us are looking for, really. 
Um, and I'm sure a lot of that came through all the personal work you did with your relationship with your mom and then creating all this work and um, has evolved you to kind of have that clarity. So that's really encouraging. I think you're right. And I think this is something important also for people, especially young people to know is that we live in a culture that doesn't give you a lot of time and a lot of uh, room, you know, to work on yourself and understand mm. yourself. And, and this is important because you're going to be more efficient in the world. You're going to, you're going to have yeah. your spot and know what you are doing and, and do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is normal when you are young to search for who you are, but there's, uh, we don't, we don't give young people the time to, um, especially I feel like one of the things that I'm passionate about is the price of the education in this country. Yeah. Because I feel like because of the price of the education, a lot of people don't give themselves the time, you know, they, they study and then as soon as they are out of college or something, they need to get a job to pay their yeah. loan or, and then it doesn't give them the time to find themselves. And then they go on and not only it makes them unhappy, but but it also makes them less efficient. You cannot be passionate and efficient about something that is not really who you are. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a lot of pressure and there's no, it's not very common to have like a gap year to like, just kind of figure out who you are and what you want to do and see the world or something. You know? Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. Or even try yourself out at different type of jobs. Yeah. And, uh, because sometimes you have an idea when you're 15 years old of a job and it's, you think it's your dream and then you try it and you go like, Oh, that's what it is. You know, no. Okay. Not, not exactly this field interests me, but not exactly. And, um, in, in my generation, I felt like we had a little bit more freedom especially in France because education is free but uh, you know like I tried anthropology and realized okay it didn't work for me as a mom I did. then I tried myself a couple of other things and I feel like that's how you find yourself yeah. and it's it's very 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 important because that's how only when people are themselves I, I feel that's that's only then they can be grounded happy and productive yeah you know so and work towards making the world a more balanced and sustainable place. Absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise, this this connection is, um, you know, when you are unhappy, that's when maybe you're going to get tempted to be addicted to certain things, you know, mm-hmm. alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, whatever, but also consume more. You're trying to fill a hole, you yeah. know, uh, and uh, and then that you're exhausted. You don't cook at night. You get your plastic plates. You you know, yeah, 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 all yeah. of all of it is uh, is really linked. I feel. Yeah, it's yeah. more of the disconnection. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll work. We'll all, we will all work to get more connected. <laughs> I think we have <laughs> to, to the planet and to ourselves. I think we have to. I don't think it's a choice anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks, Anne, for everything you shared. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you, Scott, for giving me a voice. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Hey, it's Scott. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so appreciative of your time, investment, and listening to these conversations that I have with these amazing people. I'm very grateful for you. And if you want to learn more about me and the podcast, just check out scottdavidgordon.com. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.